0: hi my name is jen i'm a holistic nurse practitioner and i'm here to tell you that your body can heal i healed eight different chronic and autoimmune conditions that had me bedridden sick with little hope for my future in my 20s i've created this podcast to inspire you and give you the tools to heal your body your mind your heart your spirit and your life this podcast is for patients practitioners and people who want to listen from the place where spirit and science meet. As we heal our body, we have a body that moves well, thinks well, loves well, and that is a body we want to be in for this life to carry out our soul's work. I'm so glad you're here tuning in with us. Now let's get to this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Inspire Health by Jen podcast. Listen, I love this podcast with Timothy today for so many reasons. One, he spoke to my favorite subjects, the mind-body connection. He throws a little bit of chronic illness in there, personal development, and questions of the soul. If you're new to human design, don't even know what it is, or you teach on the subject matter yourself, you're going to love this episode just as much as I did. I can assure you there is something on human design that no one has ever told you before that is in this deep dive episode. First, Timothy and I go deep into what's beneath the surface of human design. Then we end the episode with your traditional human design reading. So keep those charts handy. You're gonna want to reference them. This is not your average human design episode and I cannot wait for you to hear it.
1: And um, our soul's work is to uh, experience a life of joy, is Mm -hmm. to expand in joy. That's it. That's our soul's work. Each one of us has one thing to do, and we tend to suck at it. But the one thing that we get to do in life is to expand in joy. But what does it mean to expand in joy for Jen? And how does that differ from what it means to expand in joy for Timothy? I mean, Timothy's an odd one. You know, he's off here interested in totem animals and numerology and human design and these different things that had nothing to do with what he was professionally involved in. And Jen, you may be interested in all sorts of other things that I would never even give a second thought to, you know, and the next person over is going to be interested in accounting. You know, everyone has that thing that really inspires them. And So what happens is that as each of our individual souls moves toward what we consider to be joyful, we find the uniqueness inherent to that individual soul. Mm. It's almost as if each one of us is a flute and we're all made out of different types of wood and we're all different sizes. And what happens is that as the breath of life sings through that flute, we have a very unique song, which arrives as a result of that. And the song will will be entirely unique in every case, but it's the same breath, inspiring song. But each song is different.
2: Mm. We all
1: have the same work to do, but what comes on the other side of that is life. And this is, by the way, how life expands itself infinitely in every direction.
0: Timothy, thank you so much for joining us today. It is myself and the Mastermind ladies here, and we are so excited to tune into and learn more about human design and how this body of work that you are so well versed in can help us live in alignment. And not only, I love what you say, you're a full-time human being, but in Excel as full-time human beings, we also have the same occupation and then in our businesses, (laughs) in our personal lives and as women. So Tiffany, do you want to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and how you landed here?
1: Mm. Is that all? That might take <laughs> a whole podcast conversation. No. We're here for it. Uh, yeah. So hello, everyone. My name is Timothy Brainerd. And to this day, I still fail at containing uh, an adequate response to this question of what it is that I do, uh, what it is that I bring uh, outside of just myself. And what that has ultimately added up to um, is a uh, body of work that extends beyond the systems that I have studied or employed. So we will be focusing a lot today on the system of human design and how human design can be utilized in order to um, accelerate our uh, our growth and uh, ultimately support what it is that we are each here to do. But it's also worth noting that each one of us has so much to bring beyond the, uh, the beginning point of any given system. And so what life has been very generous about producing through me is, is I think in that same vein, it extends beyond the systems themselves to produce something new. And each one of us has similar things to bring. So, uh, if you would love to learn more about what that looks like, my invitation is to just visit my website and that's the best way. There is no way to summarize what's happening there. So yeah. brainer.com is home-based for all of that.
0: Beautiful. Thank you for that resource. And we will definitely link it in the notes. Awesome. So tell us, it always blows my mind when someone becomes an expert in human design because I can say I'm a manifesting generator. So I have lots of interest and, and my interests take me in multiple places. And then I definitely want to know your human design, Timothy. But uh-huh. when you <laughs> first, so let's get that out of the way. Then I'll finish my question. What is your human design?
1: Okay, so my human design is a self-projected projector type. Oh my gosh, beautiful.
0: I'm so excited to learn more. And then also, when I'm understanding how people got into human design, And when I'm talking with an expert and they know so much about the human design subject as a manifesting generator, I've dabbled. I've learned a little bit about each type, probably not gone as in depth as a self-projecting projector can, (laughs) Um, but like, how did, when's the first time you heard about human design? And what was that like for you knowing where you're at now? So deep in this body of work. And then the first time you met it,
1: Mm, I remember the very first time I met it. And it was a long time ago, uh, more than a dozen years at this point. And it was while visiting a friend of mine in Sedona. At the time I was steeped in other psychological profiling systems like the Myers-Briggs profiling system and the Enneagram and things of this nature. So I was very interested in and familiar with these other systems and she knew this. And so she asked if I had yet discovered human design. And I said, no. And she pulled out the human design book and drops it in my lap with a thud because you know that thing's quite a volume. And, and I just felt instantly drawn to the density of the material. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, like the book had its own weight and density, but then you could also feel the significance of what was in that book without even opening it.
0: Yeah, Timothy, I know. Cause that's why we asked you to come today. Cause I'm like, I cannot even begin to <laughs> summarize human design to this group. So what, how would you describe it? You said a psychological profile system, but for <laughs> those who are like, what is human design? What would you say it
1: is? Not a psychological profiling system. <laughs> and that's, that's why it was so exciting to me because I could sense it calling me forward and calling me beyond what I had known. Uh, if anything, human design is uh, it's a system that helps us to un- understand the energetic mechanism of each individual. So that's really what we're looking at in the human design is a circuit board it shows us how, how our energy links up and moves most effectively in life. I love that. so exciting exciting. about this. Yeah, you get it. Okay. What's so exciting about this is that it's speaking to the individual. So many of these other profiling systems are speaking categorically and attempting to categorize the collective. Mm. But human science says, forget about categories. Let's learn about you. That's exciting.
0: To me, it's like the energetics. Like I look at blood work a lot as a holistic nurse practitioner and like everyone has their own blood chemistry. And then like everyone has their own energetic mechanism that we can see through human design. You're putting words to what I've, I've been understanding and learning, but it's still so deep and so rich. So you discovered it and you felt like you probably just won the lottery. Did you know instantly you would go into this work?
1: Uh, never, ever considered I would be doing what I'm doing now. I knew instantly I would dive in (laughs) and I instantly dove in. And to be very honest with you, my experience of it at the outset was very similar to what you described at first, which is it was overwhelming. I dove in, loved what I was finding and very quickly in in a period of weeks or months became enormously overwhelmed by the bulk of information. And, uh, this is, this is ultimately what led me to a period of several years where I was bouncing in and out of the material. You know, I was like, I loved it. I'd pour over it. I'd become overwhelmed. i would set it aside. I'd rediscover it a couple of years later, same thing over again. And so when it finally came time to stick with it, to dedicate myself to this study, I uh, I did that with a vigor. And, and as a result of that, we find ourselves here now. Um, yeah, but that was a surprise, a complete surprise.
0: Yeah, that is beautiful. And can you tell us more about, as we're diving into human design, more about you and where life has brought you from? from pre-human design to now this expert residence that you hold in the subject matter?
1: Yeah, uh, happily. Boy, what a what a journey and what an adventure.
0: We're <laughs> uh, here for it.
1: I should state for the record, by the way, right here and now that though I I am humbled by and greatly appreciate your recognition of my connection to this work, I would never describe myself as an expert. I would never describe myself as the human design guy. I love the system and I love many systems. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not a neurologist, but I've deeply studied neurology and neuro-linguistic programming and hypnosis and psychiatry and psychology and many, many things. Human design is one piece of a very vast puzzle of um, information gathering that has been a part of my personal path towards self-discovery. So the fact that I'm able to use anything that contributed to my personal journey toward truth in order to support and serve anyone else in the world, that is itself a surprise, but I wouldn't call myself an expert.
0: I appreciate your humility. You come highly, highly recommended by, I would say some quote unquote experts in the field. So we will hold you to that um, standard, but we understand that you don't wanna put that title after your name.
1: Okay, thank you. All right, so how do we get from there to here, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: When I first met human design, I was working full time as a machinist in the aerospace industry. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I was managing a shop, a machine shop full of people in that industry. And at the time, I was traveling to and from Boeing and SpaceX and Lockheed Martin, uh, working on deals in these industries. And ironically, I was working with in that industry, I was working with blueprints all the time. We would receive a blueprint for a part or uh, uh, an assembly of parts that were ultimately going to end up in a fighter jet or a missile or a, a satellite, you know. And I was able to read those blueprints and produce those parts or, you know, manage a shop that was going to do the same. So I was very familiar with this. Of course, meeting human design, this was just like for fun on the side. All of these, you know, explorations were not professional. They were personal. And I always categorized them as such. But at a certain point, I knew that it was time to leave the industry I was in professionally and to pursue something that was more connected to what I actually cared about. I never cared about that. I was good at it. I could make money at it, but I didn't care about it. Uh, And so a whole sequence of events led me from this into business development and writing and content uh, development. And uh, ultimately, I ended up spending years helping small businesses to reduce marketing expense and increase their profit margins exponentially. Um, And I did this for a long time living in Arizona at the time and again never considered that what I was pouring myself into all these hours of the day on the side, so to speak, might ultimately produce something meaningful, not only in my life, but in the lives of others. It wasn't until hmm, several years ago, six, seven years ago, I'm really losing track of time at this point, when I made a hard and fast decision to set aside everything I had ever done professionally And dedicate 100% of my attention to the study of human design. This came as the result of one question What is it that I want to do with every minute of my life? Is there anything that really has that kind of a draw uh, that I would pour myself into full time? And the answer was not machining, certainly. The answer was not business development. It wasn't even necessarily serving others. It was very personal, very self focused. And it was, man, if I could do anything, I would just love to sit around and study human design. (laughs) Mm.
0: That is really inspiring to this group of women, including myself, because you said something so powerful. I was good at it, but it's not what I wanted to spend my time doing. And so I'm curious, you had this really like comfy job and then you took a leap. What was that like?
1: It felt familiar and terrifying. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't matter what system you use to uh, analyze Timothy, whether it's Myers-Briggs or human design or numerology or the gene keys, all of these systems say the same thing, which is that uh, I have a certain penchant for this leaping into the void. Uh, Ultimately, the intent is always liberation, Mm. but you don't get to freedom uh, by any means except for experience and courage. It requires courage and direct personal experience to arrive at that ultimate vista that we refer to as freedom. And that's professional and it's financial and it's relational It's across the board. So uh, it was terrifying, but it had to be done. I'm not a daredevil, you know, like growing up, it was my younger brother who was, you know, driving things fast and doing tricks on his bike and doing all this kind of stuff. Not me. I was real careful. You know, I had the helmet on and the the arm pads and (laughs) I'm not a daredevil, but in life I am. And so I knew it had to be done. And so I did it.
0: How did understanding your human, because you knew human design, obviously, because you were getting out of the work that you were doing. How did understanding your human design assist you in that transition?
1: Great, great question. I love your questions, by the way. Thank you. Um, And thank you to each of you listening as well uh, for being patient and for wanting to hear my story. One of the greatest uh, values of human design was the awareness that you've already pointed at, Jen which is that there is a marked difference between being recognized for what you can do and being recognized for who you are. And at a certain point, I realized that I had dedicated my entire life professionally, relationally, just across the board. I had really dedicated myself to um, that recognition of what I was capable of doing. But what I found over and over again is that I was capable of doing anything I gave my attention to, whether I enjoyed it or not. And so the big question of what I wanted was just, you know, that wasn't even a part of the equation. So when I considered that distinction between being recognized for who you are and being recognized for what you can do I realized I had never really permitted myself to in, to become involved in what I wanted and who I am. So what was that what was that thing where was the life pulse happening? It happened at that time to be happening in this area. I wanted to study human design. So be aware since I'm I would imagine that many listening are some version of generator or manifesting generator that the theme of recognition is typically applied to the projector. However, I want to be even clearer in saying that no part of human design is about categorization. We, we can blur those lines. Every one of us needs to ask the same question. You can use your own words,
2: but mm-hmm.
1: considering the difference between what others expect of you and what others have learned that you are capable of and what you are really drawn toward and who you really are. That difference makes all the difference. Mm. Yeah. So thank you for picking up on that.
0: That is incredible. I, I've like, I've already categorized myself at the beginning when we just got on here and, and there's liberation and there's truth and there's freedom in that. So do you believe this is an off topic question that (laughs) everyone has a soul's work. There's something that they can like leap into liberation to do that their human design can assist them and your knowledge in that. And that at some point, usually most of us find ourselves in what you said, like being recognized for what we can do instead of who we are. And there's actually more abundance and more freedom. And when we can like jump into that scary part, it's, it's scary. It's hard in the transition, but there's more on the other side for us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll kind of let you there but I was wondering honestly your answer
1: favorite. is yes. Uh I do believe that. I would say this is fun, all right? I would say that we all have the same work and um our soul's work is to uh experience a life of joy. Is mm. to expand in joy. That's it. That's our soul's work. Each one of us has one thing to do and we tend to suck at it, but the one thing that we get to do in life is to expand in joy. But What does it mean to expand in joy for Jen and how does that differ from what it means to expand in joy for Timothy? I mean, Timothy's an odd one. You know, he's off here interested in totem animals and numerology and human design and these different things that had nothing to do with what he was professionally involved in. And Jen, you may be interested in all sorts of other things that I would never even give a second thought to. You know, and the next person over is going to be interested in accounting. You know, everyone has that thing. really inspires them. And so what happens is that as each of our individual souls moves toward what we consider to be joyful, we find the uniqueness inherent to that individual soul. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if each one of us is a flute, and we're all made out of different types of wood, and we're all different sizes. And what happens is that as the breath of life sings through that flute, we have very unique song which arrives as a result of that. And the song will will be entirely unique in every case, but it's the same breath inspiring song. But each song is different. Mm
2: -hmm. We all
1: have the same work to do, but what comes on the other side of that is life. And this is, by the way, how life expands itself infinitely in every direction.
0: And then life can tell us, well, if you want to be joyful, there's only these kinds of flutes that you can play, pick one, and then there's something wrong with you if you're playing a flute that you weren't created to play.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, it's 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 almost like it's we are the flute, right? So, so actually, what's happening is that you've got these these authorities in our lives that say, "I understand this is how you're built, and I understand this is the song that's going to come through that." Um, but we're going to need you to do something else. <laughs> and and you're like, well, but how, you know? And then and then you allow those authorities to stop up all the holes on the flute and whatever life or breath inspired that song originally now becomes stale and stopped and you can't sing it all. And no life, no song, none of it is happening. And instead you're a CNC machinist. You're like, what, you know, and, and I think a great part of the journey, we could call it the hero's journey or the heroine's journey is, is this act of deconstructing all of these layers of expectations and all of these personal assumptions and all of these unconscious agreements that we've made with those prior authorities and coming into a full um, adulthood, full ownership of our own experience, recognizing that each one of us is distinctly responsible for our own life and that no one else can take that from us unless we give it to them. Becoming an adult, literally capital A adult in this process is about saying, I'll take that back. I will take responsibility back for who I am and what I do. And it's going to look different from what anyone else might think.
0: Where do we start?
1: Mm. Well, boy, great question. Where do we start? It's an interesting question, I think, because anyone listening to this has already begun. There is no way this conversation finds a person unless they're already on that path. So where did we start? Well, we started by piercing the veil in little ways. These cracks of light come through. And those cracks of light, by the way, tend to shed light on how far apart from what's natural to us we really are. So the crack of light isn't always joy-filled. That light piercing the veil is oftentimes going to illuminate that which is unnatural to us, and it's going to cause frustration. There is a beautiful uh, story, and it's a it's a story about development. And I, I first read it in Osho, but I believe it comes from Nietzsche, and it's a three phase process. It moves from the camel. Uh, the camel phase is the first phase. This beginning phase is an assimilation phase. We take on information. We are told what to believe and we believe it and mm-hmm. many, many people in the world are going to remain camels for their whole lives. In fact, the idea here is that upper 90 percentile of the of the population is going to be a camel. They're going to continue to just believe what they're told and they're going to believe their they're pastors, and they're going to believe their teachers and their parents and their political figures, and they're going to polarize in one way or another, and they're going to specialize in some field, and they're going to have a profession and then a family and on and on and on it goes, okay? So the camel is the expectation. It's the village in the hero's journey. At a certain point, some people, a very small percentage, certainly less than 10%, will recognize that that village is too small. And what happens is that as these people leave the village and they strike off into the wilderness, they evolve. And the camel now becomes a lion.
2: Mm. In
1: your case, many of you listening, it's a lioness. Now the lioness is a destructive force. There's a lot of anger here, because for the first time in the life, this person is recognizing that everything they believed to be true, not only in terms of their worldview, but about themselves has been superimposed upon the truth. And so all of these things that they assumed to be true are not in fact true in this process. This lioness phase is a destructive phase. They deconstruct, they unlearn, they break things, they become angry, the claws come out. There's a story here that the lioness at some point meets a dragon and at the heart of the dragon is the core of their truth. But in order to arrive at that, they need to peel off every scale of that dragon. And we do this. We're like, this is not true. And this is not true. And I am not this, I am that. And we're in this process that is very volatile.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Many of us now, I imagine listening to this call, are in this phase. And many people who access this phase, as rare as it is, do get stuck here. They get stuck in anger. They get stuck in what they don't want and what they mm-hmm. don't go in. And it's a very negative orientation, a necessary orientation, but a negative one. We must not get stuck here because the third phase is what the point of all this is. The point of the destruction, the point of the tearing away of layers is to identify the soft heart of truth. Pulsing, alive, ready, and waiting beneath it. This is the child. If we can navigate the territory and we can survive the dragon and we can identify that heart, we emerge once again into a new form, and that is the form of the child. And the child is a wizened old sage in a child's body. you know? Now, this child neither needs to believe, accept, or assimilate anything from anyone, nor rage against anything. This child has bright eyes. And chases butterflies and wonders why the sky is blue and marvels at the gift of life. There is such an innocence here and such an ancientness in the child phase. That's what we're all about. So where does it begin? It begins with feeling as though the village is too small. I've taken on too much water and these humps couldn't hold another drop.
2: Mm-hmm. And it
1: says, it says, no. That's the beginning. No, I don't want to be a machinist. That's not enough for me. No. If this is all it's about, making enough money in order to get a 401k and eventually retire, I'd rather just die now. Mm. My father, right? Um, I see some of you smiling and nodding because we've been there. Those of us who are very honest, those of us who are on this call, we've come to that place where we've said no. That's why I say the beginning is behind us. We're already in the wilderness.
0: And to be honest, Timothy, as someone who facilitates and hosts these masterminds, I see so many, I work primarily with women. So so many women and men, of course, go from camel to lioness to child. And I see probably an equal part get stuck in the lioness. Can you talk more about that? Because you're putting words to a phenomenon that I'm like, oh my gosh. And like, how do we one as as humans, when this is our experience, come out of the lioness? And then if we are transitioning and that we have never arrived, but if we're like, okay, I think I'm past the lioness, like how can we help people want ourselves and others out of that, that stuckness.
1: Awesome. Awesome question. I think that for those of us serving in this way, there probably isn't a more important question to ask because that's ultimately what we're serving. I, I don't believe that many of us on this call will be helping people to recognize that the village is too small, right? Those people who are comfortable in the village will not be convinced otherwise those people who are recognizing that it's too small, have already figured it out in one way or another. Right? So your question is the question. The answer, and I, and I, I'm going to make a shameless plug of this. The answer is found in a section of my work referred to as the forgotten sense. If you're listening to this call, please visit my website and read everything that I've shared, watch every video, listen to every audio that I've ever shared regarding the forgotten sense, because what we're dealing with here is actually a matter of orientation. The lion, the lioness, is about what is not wanted. In the forgotten sense, this is what I refer to as a red orientation. Red means stop. Red means tension. Red means stress. Red means anxiety, fire, anger, rage. Okay? We know the feeling of red because it tightens everything and it destroys. Right? This is a necessary beginning point in the process, but it cannot become a trap. I once read, I believe it was in Osho again, I once read the idea of a prisoner. Every prisoner knows that they want to get out of prison, right? They know that they don't want to be a prisoner. But how many of us are really asking the question, what do I want to do with my freedom? This is a totally different orientation. We become so blinded by the bars that we cannot connect to the possibilities that exist on the other side of those bars. So the answer to your question is we must become aware of the possibilities. We must retract our attention from that which we do not want and offer it instead to that which we wish to create. Mark that. Listen to it every day. That is the only work
0: awareness to the possibilities. Boom. And can you highlight that dichotomy of awareness to the possibilities and then also releasing what we don't want and drawing our attention back from that?
1: I can. In the forgotten sense, this orientation is what I refer to as a green orientation. We're working with red and green. That's simple. Red light, green light. Red means stop, green means go. The way that we can delineate between these two is through the equipment that we've been gifted in the physical body. This, by the way, connects to human design and also connects to the single most significant discovery that human design provided for me personally, which is that the physical form itself is a Proactive, vital, and contributing awareness that we have tended to completely neglect in the human experience. There is information available in the physical form that is actually producing a guidance system that we can utilize from one moment to the next. In other words, we can feel physically, literally, on a sensory level, we can feel the difference between red and green. We can feel the difference between stuckness and momentum. We delineate between red and green, smallness and expansion through our sense of feeling.
0: Is it safe to follow all the physicality, the feelings, and the sense
1: your questions? <laughs> I love this. You are brilliant. So this is our first time meeting, Chen, right? Mm-hmm. So forgive my like, just like bursting excitement, because I had no way to know that you would be such a great- The universe
0: interest. hooked it up. I'm feeling the yeah. same way. I'm like, <laughs> this is good.
1: <laughs> the answer is yes, we can trust it. But- First, we must learn how to speak its language.
2: Mm.
1: Right? You could have the most trusted uh, guide of all time, but if this person is speaking Chinese and you don't, you're in trouble. Right? My mom has this uh, hilarious tendency when we're driving. She gives directions and she gives good directions, but her fingers and her mouth are not connected. (laughs) (laughs) She'll she'll point left and say, turn right. You know what I'm saying? And and so she says, follow my finger, you know, (laughs) just go where the finger is pointing. You
0: have to know which part of mom to listen to.
1: Exactly. Yes. And this, I think, is exactly what happens to us in life. We tend to experience life in a way that is deeply disconnected from our most vital resources. The Forgotten Sense, by the way, is the program that shows you what those resources are and teaches you exactly how to utilize them properly. So we're disconnected from these resources. We have this conscious mind that is constantly saying, go this way, go that way. That's my mom's voice. (laughs) And then we have a physical form, the finger, that is constantly telling us the right way to go. But if our conscious mind is not aware of that signaling system and doesn't know how to value or read, so to speak, the signal, the pointing finger, we're out of luck. We're left guessing. And that's what the mind does. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with the mind. Our mental capacity actually represents our single greatest power in all of life. But that power is like a fire hose. It is enormous and it is going to create life or it is going to destroy life. Without a confident grasp on that fire hose, what happens? Does it have any of you ever seen that? Like it's just, it's all over the place. It's just like, has no control. We need to be able to control that. So we need to know how to utilize this force, our mentality, properly. That's what the forgotten sense teaches us. And once you recognize how to utilize your own equipment properly, you are actually coming into adulthood as a creator, capital C. Hmm. So we have a lot of people seeking to manifest, a lot of people seeking alignment, a lot of people seeking to do very good and important work in this world with no real grasp on the very fundament of their nature, their self that accommodates all of that vision that they can sense so strongly. First, we need the foundation, then we get to blossom. Root system first, fruit after. So
0: you're saying the body is a safe compass to, to help navigate us. The mind is responding to the body, and help me if I'm saying this incorrectly. Right. And we must understand how to utilize the fire hose that can be the mind if it's left uncontrolled.
1: That's right. <clears throat> Yes, the mind must learn the body's language in order for the two to become unified as a a force of nature, literally. Yes. Once unified, we actually become human. And that's that's why all of my work speaks not to our human design, not to these different categorical distinctions, but actually to the most fundamental gift that we receive, which is our humanness we are human beings first and foremost if we can occupy that totally we gain access to the very mechanism that life has provided for us in order to get to work producing expanding creating inventing bringing more life to life literally
0: and it can be i work with a lot of chronic illness and then a lot of the women that are in this business mastermind group we've gone through all the the trenches together like healing their bodies now we're we're working on Healing the energy field and healing the mind to for better success in business and there's just something so profound about what you said and it's reminding me of my own journey of like the mind must learn the body's language, Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: for some reason in this world, the body and the mind to our to our beingness feel both incredibly unsafe.
1: That's right. It's not for some reason. It's very specific. If you can disconnect the power from the resource that, that effectively utilizes that power, then you can manipulate the power. Mm. We're disconnected because if we're disconnected, we can be exploited and we can be tricked and we can lean on other authorities, which then very easily direct that power to whatever end they might prefer. Mm -hmm. And so this is why I speak over and over and over uh, again about The process of regathering that responsibility, bringing all of that energy back into our own individual core, taking responsibility for that, which is ours, which is our own lives, and then utilizing all of these gifts that we've been given properly. And and I'm telling you, this is such a simple, simple thing once you see it. I often speak about the forgotten sense as one example, as um, having been essentially written for a child. Anyone mm-hmm. can understand the forgotten sense. It's fundamental to being human. It's, it is equivalent to moving through life without the the capacity to see your mm-hmm. eyes are squeezed shut all lifelong. You can see all you need to do is open your eyes, but no one's ever said, open your eyes.
0: How do we, in some tangible ways to help us understand, begin to reclaim the responsibility that you're talking about?
1: Well, this this connects to your other question. Uh, The lioness sees everyone else as responsible for her situation. Mm, mm -hmm. That was, that was me early on blaming my parents. Oh, well, if you hadn't raised me in this very conservative Christian right wing Mm -hmm. setting, then I wouldn't feel so limited. Then I wouldn't believe all of these lies about myself that connects to a sin nature and a sense of guilt and even shame. And I wouldn't be so kept down by everything you made me believe when I was still developing as a human. Mm -hmm. So it was my parents' fault and it was pastor so-and-so's fault. And it was on and on and on it goes, right? Okay. So we have this way of relinquishing responsibility to the world around us. And in any case where we are complaining about something or blaming something or feeling a victim, of anything, we have given our responsibility away. So what the answer to your question is that we need to get into the habit of seeing that for what it is. Mm. And it does not take much to do. First, it takes someone saying, what you're seeing there is the opposite of the truth. Look in the opposite direction and you'll find it. It's that simple. We're dealing with a binary reality here, red or green. You know, if you're looking in one direction and it's hurting you, look in the other direction to find the truth. It's that simple on the one hand. Um, on the other hand, we need the self-honesty and the awareness that is required in order for us to, well, it's like self-honesty to say, this isn't what it seems, and maybe I, I'm responsible for something here I haven't seen, and then it's the courage to look in the opposite direction. We're not used to it. You know, if you're training any skill, it's gonna it's going to require a whole new series of habits. Doesn't matter if it's martial arts or playing a piano or this work that I'm referring to. Um, But taking responsibility back is about not blaming the world outside of you for that, which you've created from the inside unconsciously.
0: Mm. This is so good. I'm just like, again, giving props to the universe for hooking us up because as you're talking, I'm like, this is so good. And I'm so grateful you're here and and sharing this with us. And honestly, it came down to, I got a, a recommendation from another quote unquote expert that I trust. And my body, when I connected with you, was just like, yeah, yeah, you need to talk to this person and it's gonna be good. And and the mind can follow with those, those chatter pieces. But I don't want to deter from this lioness and lion like reclaiming the responsibility and releasing the habit to be the victim. It's wouldn't you say it's like always there, no matter what stage of the journey you're in, you're still like you catch yourself being blaming other people and you're like, crap. <laughs> I've lost my my, my power here in this moment by doing so.
1: It's a practice. It's a practice. And you're right. We lose our power. I I've been, I've been playing this one game for many, many years. I refer to it as a game. Everything in my life is a game. My rituals, it's all, you know, these are all games. Um, even human design is a game. That's why human design is about experimentation, not about information gathering, but we'll come back to that. One of these games is that I I once learned a long time ago from my uncle that the native Americans used to walk toe to heel instead of heel to toe. Hmm. This seems so disconnected from our conversation. Bear with me. They walked toe to heel instead of heel to toe, and they could always sense the, the white settlers coming because they walked heel to toe and, the literally the, the impact of their skeleton on the earth. They could feel that, you know, they were so connected to the earth, <clears throat> whereas they were essentially like, <clears throat> excuse me. Almost tiptoeing, you know, they had this different, this different way of moving that was like kissing the earth with their feet. Ever since I heard that, I started walking toe to heel. And all these years later, I'm more than a decade later. I mean, this is a very, very long time ago that I heard this, and a very, very long time I've been doing this. To this day, every step I take requires my conscious attention. And what a gift. I get to actually notice every step I take and choose to kiss the earth with every step I take.
0: That is amazing. And I'm like, how hard is that? I'm like, have my feet on the ground to figure out how I would, I'm like, which way do I even walk? It's probably. Heel to toe.
1: Yeah. The toe. Mm-hmm. yeah. The toe. Um, which is fine. But essentially this game allows for the very process you're leaning into with your question, which is why does it keep happening? It keeps happening. It keeps happening so that we can become conscious so that we come, can become present. What happens when we become present is we become empowered. So we're never doing anything wrong, except that we are forgetting how much a, of a gift it is to be aware in the moment. You know, that forgetfulness is, is a, a, a matter of becoming distracted, a matter of becoming unconscious, a matter of becoming stuck on the surface of things. This opportunity to recognize the deeper truth is an invitation to meet life as an experience, not as an idea. Mm. Not meant to be on the surface. We're meant to be in the in the, like soil of it that's how life produces more life
0: hey i'm interrupting the podcast real quick for an overshare moment i hope you don't mind a little bit of tmi so up until several months ago i didn't wash my face I know, it's gross. A little infrared sauna, a little shower water is what my skincare regimen consisted of. I was sick and tired of all these quote-unquote clean beauty line lies. Products claiming to be clean, yet my skin always knew the difference and showed the irritation. Then on a whim, I met Kathy and Jamie, the angel owners of Free Girl Skincare. I admittedly told them my little secret and they decided to help me out. And ever since then, I wash my face two times a day, baby steps, right? With the kind-hearted cleansing milk, the Faithful Anti-Acne Serum, and their vitamin C moisturizer that works miracles. They even have an anti-wrinkle eye cream I love for those little crow's feet starting to show up in my early 30s, and this gel mask that you can sleep with on your face, and I love it. I've noticed brighter skin, less fine lines, and I can wear makeup more because... The makeup actually comes off my face now. I know, shocker. I want this for you too, and I want you to ditch those toxic products making your skin sick. So head over to freegirlskincare.com and enter the code LoveJen, L O V E J E N, 1515 for 15% off your purchase. I had a little flashback of a memory that I'm sure is here to serve us. Growing up in school, like elementary through high school, even somewhat college, but especially high school in a smaller high school setting, my peers who I had great relationships with would really get so annoyed and aggravated with me for asking so many questions. And here we are, I'm sure there's somewhere in my human design that would talk about this, but here we are with Timothy. you're like, your questions are so good. And like, in high school algebra, they'd be like, oh my gosh, I just, I had to know why and how, and like the ins and outs, instead of just taking it at face value of this is what it is. Um, does anything come up for you when I say that?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it seems to me that this is one of your powers. Hmm. So that, that questioning is the childlike expression of curiosity. It's deeply innocent, but only when it's coming from curiosity and you will know the difference within yourself and your experience between the expression of that innocence and curiosity compared with the desperate sense of urgency. That is the mental need to know.
2: Mm, and wow. You
1: will see, yeah. You'll see instances where there's that desperation. You need to figure it out. And it feels like your whole life is on the, you know, hanging in the balance. And then there's that, just that flow, that bounciness, that brightness of curiosity. That's where we belong.
0: I That's can it. Yes. There's that bounciness curiosity here. When I took the leap out of my camel to my lioness, it was very, and in that lioness, like I have to know, like I have to know the future and I have to know I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to have to know how this is going to work out. And I have to know how my business is going to make money and it's draining. It drains the life force out of our, our ability to create, -create, co-create and live abundantly this. Okay. Now I understand why the question was coming up.
1: It's awesome.
0: Yeah.
1: Everyone has that same questioning aspect playing out. Some people are much quieter in their way. You know, my my uh, my personal expression of this won't often move in words. I don't ask a lot of questions, but I'm always seeking beneath and before and beyond the thing. You know, I, I, ever since I was a kid. Uh, so my way is more perceptive, directly perceptive, whereas your way is, is, perceptive in its expression of curiosity and and that what that does is it opens the veil for you Mm -hmm. so where i'm using this like almost this like inner seeing to pierce the veil you're you're investigating Mm -hmm. you know and and you are that child who's like why is the sky blue you know it's a gorgeous question the answer doesn't matter
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think that is one of my lines i would be curious at this point Now that everyone, like, I feel this energy that our hearts and our minds are open and we're really like in this frequency together, how can we dive in a little bit deeper into human design and start to understand and use it as a tool for exploration instead of information gathering, like you said?
1: Brilliant. Okay. So this is fundamental. This is very, very important for anyone who's interested in human design. You need to know at the outset that human design represents one of the very greatest mental traps I have ever discovered. I have such a great respect for human design, and I am so deeply critical of human design at the same time. The critique is that there is information overload guaranteed. There is so much information here that if a person comes to this through the intellect, through that need to know, through that desperation to discover themselves or to uh, build a business based on their human design or to any of these things, they will find that human design ties them up in a knot so tight they may never escape. They will find that they're involved in conversation after conversation about, about minute detail after minute detail, all of which seem to spare it from one another, none of which can be eff- effectively synthesized. And they will find themselves confused. That's the ultimate end of human design in that direction. It will confuse you, guaranteed. Check. Or, or <laughs> we've been there, right? That was, that was me when I first met human design, trying to build a spreadsheet detailing every theme of every gate that was activated in my profile so that I could build a summary of self and finally reveal the truth. Yeah, finally
0: <laughs> uh, arrive. We have arrived. We understand there's no more work to be done.
1: Yes. I mean, Timothy must fit on a spreadsheet somewhere, somehow, right?
0: <laughs> Timothy, question what, just to make it really simple, because I'm understanding, i am definitely grasping your level of intellect and your level of skill in your previous work. What is your education and your traditional education?
1: Oh, my. Uh,
0: Like math and engineering or something different?
1: You would think so. So I never went to college. Not really. I've taken college classes, but I was actually homeschooled through high school. Mm -hmm. And that was the major door opening for me because it allowed me to define the course of my own education. And Mm -hmm. I've always been a learner. you know. So early on learning was about information gathering. And so I would finish my schoolwork very early in the day, and then I would play the remainder of the day, which meant studying what I wished to study. It meant at the time playing guitar. I was a musician. That's what I wanted to do. Um, And thinking, of course, that I would be a full-time musician. uh, I wanted to pursue that course and was told that I should probably get a job in the trades just in case, you know, backup job.
2: Mm -hmm, And
1: then I got stuck. I got stuck in my backup job as everyone tends to do. And Mm -hmm. so that backup job became my education. It sent me to school for for that industry to become a, a journeyman machinist and precision machining and all this stuff, nothing I cared anything about. All along the way, I was educating myself in many different ways. I was making music and um, touring with my band, and I was writing poetry and being published internationally as a writer. And I was doing all of these things for fun on the side. That was my education. Yeah, but It was all self-education. It wasn't some teacher coming at me. You know, It was me discovering what was inside of myself wishing to be expressed. But I didn't value it for what it was because I didn't know. You know, you're asking me this now and I can say, boom, that was my education. But there was a long period of time where I didn't know. In fact, when I left machining, I left that whole industry thinking I wanted to be a full-time writer because I loved writing. And I spent months, I mean, many months seeking a job as a writer using my resume as a machinist. So I had this big, impressive resume in a completely different industry and I could not land a job. And it wasn't until my partner at the time said, well, why don't you create a new resume using all of the writing you've been doing all these years? And the fact that you're published and you wrote a book and you're, da, 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 da. it had never crossed my mind. Mm. It never crossed my mind because that was just for fun. you know. Mm-hmm. And so one of the most important things I ever did, and it happened sequentially over time, but I blurred the line between professional and and um, personal. There was no difference between personal and professional because anything I ever do in any context carries the force of me. Mm. And this is something all of you should pay very close attention to, by the way.
0: Yeah, you, you said it really well, just with that note. And then that human design can be a trap because I did it at the beginning of this conversation of like, here, let me classify myself. Let me already tell you who I am. And we box this in. And so, in what ways does human design, the different design types, the different lines and gates, help us expand and get away from
1: that? So, the trick is to use the information as an invitation to experience. Highlight that one. The trick is to use the information as an invitation to experience. We're not gathering information, there's nothing you need to know. Here's, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna give you the spoiler right now. Yeah, do it. Every one of us contains as a vital underlying reality, the greatest truth about ourselves. It's already there. It does not need to be developed. It does not need to be improved upon. It has always been true and remains true. The trick is not to discover ourselves. The trick is to remember ourselves. Hmm. Human design is a useful tool insofar as it reminds us of the truth about ourselves. If every piece of information you discover about yourself through human design is pointing to something true about yourself, you will know it how will you know you'll know because it lands with a thud because there's this emphasis this familiarity this highlighting this these chills that rack your body that say oh my god yes that's the truth about me and you're going to find many things in your human design that don't land this way and you're going to find many things about your human design that do land this way and the things that do land this way are useful because they're opening a window to that underlying truth which will change everything for you if you permit it but if you stay on the surface gathering detail and you say, well, I'm, a, I'm an MG, or I'm a this, or I'm a that, or I have a this digestive process or that, then all you're doing is just taking on more water. And you'll hear it. If some of you are involved in human design groups, I don't mean any offense to anyone, but you're going to hear it the way that people parrot Ra, the original founder of human design. And you're going to hear people saying things like, what to do, no choice. You, know? you have no choice. Your human design is what your human design is, and you act the way you act because of your human design, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to hear this defeatism and this pessimism. There's a reason that Richard Rudd, who is a brilliant human being, by the way, produced the gene keys as a full alternative to the, to human design. Are, are you familiar, by the way, with the gene keys?
0: I'm not, if you want to tell us more.
1: Gene keys are a brilliant system. There There will be people on this call and certainly people who listen to this conversation who are at least as familiar with the gene keys as they are with human design. Richard Rudd was one of the first teachers of human design. He studied with Ra from the very beginning and opened the very first school of human design in Europe. Mm -hmm. So Richard was very involved with human design, but the voice of Ra, the founder of human design is uniquely pessimistic. And that's my personal view. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now keep in mind, by the way, that when I studied human design, when I was involved in that full-time study of human design over a great deal of time, I only studied Ra. I did not read anyone else's take on human design. I, I gathered the largest library available of, original materials i actually printed them out so i might be the only person with an actual like printed library of human design materials cost a lot of money to do that <laughs> uh, and, uh, and studied the original work right so when i'm talking about raw i'm talking from someone who didn't meet him in person I'm, uh, you know as someone who didn't meet him in person but really understood his energy mm-hmm. and so i understood why richard then after more than 10 years of being steeped in this system actually found that life was producing something else. The gene keys are that something else. The gene keys take the 64 gates of human design and expand upon them exponentially. If those of you who have met your human design have begun to study the gates, if you're studying the original work from Ra, you will find that the expression of those gates, they're kind of all over the place. Some of them feel like a benefit to have and some of them feel like a curse. What Richard discovered is that every single one of those 64 gates actually expresses three different bands of possibility. So there are three different frequencies that can move through every one of those gates. The first Mm -hmm. frequency that we tend to meet is a shadow frequency. Oftentimes Ra in his description of these gates was speaking to the shadow. He was actually showing the way that that gate, that energy is going to express itself negatively.
0: Mm. They don't talk about that at the end of
1: the story. We're going to come to that. Yes. Richard then discovered that beyond the shadow you find the gift so exciting so so on the other side like a flip side of a coin, you discover that that energy is meaning or intending to do something beautiful in every single case but that that gift must be remembered. The gift is the whole point of the movement, but we get stuck in the shadow. So you have the shadow, you have the gift, and then you have what Richard refers to as the city or the Cidic expression of that energy, which is like the divine expression, the highest potential of that genetic possibility, because keep in mind that every gate is connected to uh, a gene. Mm. We actually have in the human design uh, body graph, a map of genetic highlighting. This is then extrapolated into the gene keys. See what he's done there in order to present this enormous volume. The the, uh, Gene Keys book is like this thick because every single one of those 64 gates or keys has its own chapter. It's fascinating. Wow. So final thing I'll say about the difference between these two is that the Gene Keys produces a completely different type of map. Okay, in human design, you receive your body graph. In the Gene Keys, you receive a profile. In human design, we have an analytical tool. In the gene keys, we have uh, an invitation to experience something. It's a significantly more explicit invitation to experience. So these are two types of maps. Human design is like a blueprint. We can analyze the blueprint and we can begin to understand how something works. The gene keys is a different type of map. It's a map like, like the map that you will use to go somewhere. You follow a series of steps in order to arrive at understanding. So it's very sequential and it invites you to experience something very rich, very poetic, very optimistic, as opposed to human designs, analytical coldness, the sterility of it, okay? Wow. Yeah, so that's the difference between the two.
0: For those who are loving human design or even new to human design, would you say to start with the Gene Keys? And if you're confused, then just get in touch with Timothy,
1: he'll help. (laughs) You know something? At this point, I would I would just, all right, I see no value to complication, none. I've spent my entire conscious life, certainly my entire adult life, seeking the truth, knowing it was there, but not knowing where to find it. Now that I've actually found that underlying truth and how simple and available it is and how it's never distant from us, how it's always there, ready and waiting, only for us to remember, completely free of charge, personally... If, if I, if I couldn't forgive me for this, but if I could encourage everyone listening to just avoid the pitfalls of complication and see the truth, that's what I would choose to do. None of us need human design. None of us need any of this noise. The truth is ready and waiting. We haven't been shown it. The forgotten sense is the only system I've ever found and I had to create it. That points at the truth and says, ta-da, this is all you ever need in order to become what you are here to become. No one knows what it looks like. You can only find it through living it.
0: There's no apology needed. So we print off our human design chart or looking at it. And are you like, just just toss it? Or are you like, there's something to, to see here and to value here?
1: I want to say, just toss it. But I know that's not quite true because here's the fact of the matter. Would I have found my way here if not for human design? No, that was one of the breadcrumbs. Each one of us must become so attuned to the leading, the guidance, the calling of our individual souls that we learn to trust what we are opening toward. You know the feeling of a breadcrumb because everything inside of you lights up. And if everything inside of you is lighting up because of this body graph that you've just discovered, follow the breadcrumb. Even though Timothy's over here saying, "Ah, it's probably going to distract you. But you know what? Let it distract you. It'll distract you until it breaks open into some new awareness, and then you're off in the weeds in a completely different direction than you ever could have supposed. Human design is a tool. The value of that tool is in its ability to open our awareness to the truth which has always been true. That's all.
0: Mm.
1: I just think human design is a bit of a blunt object. I don't think it's really necessary.
0: gained a lot of popularity, and it's become mainstream and more of it, would you say a distraction than like, an expander at in,
1: this the mainstream. in the mainstream. Absolutely. Yes. And the reason is because it has actually undermined its own efforts. Human design initially was about function. It's about how energy moves and how that energy can be read in order to describe an individual. But the more mainstream it gets, the more categorical it gets. And we, and we do exactly like you said, we start to create a sense of self based upon these silly terms. I am not like you asked me what my human design was. And I cringe. I'm like, I'll tell you, but in no way will timothy ever be uh squeezed into the container of a self-projected projector i'd I'd prefer never to refer to myself as that any longer you know i'll tell i'll give you a great example of this prior to what i do now i invented a whole system that i referred to as whole system human and it was about recognizing how each one of us is in fact uh whole collection of interactions of relationships and how everything in our lives is connected and how there's no difference between what we're doing professionally and our bank account and our uh, romantic life and our spiritual life. All of these things are one thing. And if we can find the core at the heart of it all, we can change on a holistic scale. Whole System Human was about that. And I love building the brand and it was brilliant. The whole thing, website, everything, program ready to roll. And it was a complete flop. Because what I was attempting to do was I was attempting to uh, squeeze everything I had discovered into a new profession. Right, I moved from that that machinist to the manager to the writer to the business developer to all you know, just constantly moving from one title to the next until I finally got it. And you know what came after wholesystemhuman.com? What? Timothybrainerd.com.
0: Beautiful.
1: Because that is an infinite palette of possibilities,
2: right?
0: That is one that's generous of you to share this unfolding of your experience coming from like you produce something, you put your heart and soul into it, and it was a flop because we will all find that in our journey, whether it's business or just like a hobby or career, whatever lens we're looking through. And then but it led to the thing. And we talk about branding in this group and it's like, we are our brand. Like like what you said, we're moving from what we can do to who we are.
1: Yep. So this is the difference between outside in and inside out. Before I was building from the outside in, I thought that it was about the brand. And then I discovered that it wasn't about the brand. It was about the man producing the brand. And mm-hmm. so what happened instead is, and you'll see this when you visit my website on the very first page, the landing page, of TimothyBrainerd.com is chock full of different brands. <laughs> I still get to build the brands because I love to do that. It's a part of my art. It's a part of my expression. And so you've got these little life forms that are contained within the greater organism of me. And now I don't do anything professionally. People ask me what I do. And I'm just going, how much time do you have? I do all sorts of things and I love every one of them. And there's not an ounce or a moment of my attention that's given away to that, that prior need.
2: hmm
1: produce or to prove value or to make money or anything. Mm. We get to meet our lives as the simple miracle that they are. That simple miracle is more complex than our attempts to complicate will ever be able to arrive at. Think about it this way. We build these systems and they're so smart and so intellectual. Look at our technologies. Our technologies, our software, our, our artificial intelligence, they boggle the brain and they are nothing. compared to the organic system of nature Mm -hmm. what's happening biologically and naturally supersedes anything we will ever create artificially that's the truth Mm -hmm. so there's a difference between complication and complexity complexity is contained in wisdom complexity is contained in nature and complexity can be communicated in simple terms Mm
2: -hmm. complication
1: Mm -hmm. is intellectual complication is mind disconnected from body complications. What happens when we get stuck in the web of mentality that literally disconnects us from the experience of our lives. So we have to eliminate the web, return to our lives and actually release ourselves to the greater intelligence that is so complex and so wise and yet so simple and available.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: See the paradox in this and how beautiful yes. that paradox is. Yeah.
0: And so I can like feel the energy for some listening now, listening at another time in now, like with their chart, they're like, I wanna know. So Timothy Brainerd, he, he learned, he was a self-projecting projector, right? For those who are a few steps before where you're at on your journey and they have their chart, like what, I mean, what did you learn about being a self-projecting projector that brought you here?
2: Well, we
1: mentioned the one big piece which had to do with recognition.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: the difference between what I'm doing and who I am, big difference. Uh, A piece about my type that continues to really, I think, support what's happening here is the self-projected bit. So I learned that in a self-projected type, you have essentially the soul speaking through the throat. So that that core part of you is, is moving directly through the throat into expression, usually through words. So, I've learned to release the need to know what I'm going to say ahead of time and to let that part of myself speak. And it's been a lot of years of essentially discovering what that looks like, what it sounds like, and even how it can happen without ever opening my mouth. But that has proven to be really valuable to me. Those people, those of you, many of you who are holding that body graph and feel the fascination, you can follow that fascination to the experience. You really can. Mm -hmm. If you know to avoid the trap of information, And you can use the information to initiate experiments, you will will gain uh, benefit from human design. Mm. You have to use what you found. Think about the blueprint. If I have a blueprint that shows me how to build the world's coolest, sexiest, fastest car, and I build the car, but never drive it, Mm. point. Yeah. Every one of us is like this. We are the car and we are capable of far more than we will ever know. I promise. But if you're going to pour over your human design and not use what you find, spare yourself the effort and go back to sleeping in the village. Mm. <laughs> it's about the experience. That's why you left the village.
0: We came here with our charts and we're being awakened. I love it. This is
1: so good. We can use the chart. We can use any tool. Mm. That's the beauty. So again, great respect for human design, deeply critical of it. You will know, each one of you listening will know whether this is going to produce something beautiful and expansive in your life or whether it feels like another dead end. Mm. We can use any tool to arrive at that original truth. You can learn from anything, but understand this. There is a difference between education and learning. Education is sterile. Education is outside in. Education is the assimilation of information that the camel was involved in. Anyone can tell you anything and then you decide if you want to agree with it. That's education. Learning, however, is an act of living. My buddy calls this extreme learning. You can learn from anything, but you Mm -hmm. have to meet it. You have to come in contact with it. You have to imbibe it. You have to embody it and live it and explore it and consider it and contemplate it and spend time with it. You have to be with it. That's learning. You could learn from a slab of concrete if your heart were open enough.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. So good. Is there one final piece before we ask you some specific questions that for those who are like human design, got to know more, like we're open hearts, we're open mind. It's, it's a tool to experience ourselves. Is there anything that in a bullet point phrase we can take away to just put in our pocket or in our email folder right next to that, uh, human design chart.
1: I mean, the the most honest response to your question, the one that was ready and waiting, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it's just like, let's talk. Yeah, I I want, I want to be able to say, well, focus on your type or focus on this or that doesn't really work that way because Mm -hmm. every piece of information you find will lead you to another and another and another, and that will never end, never Mm -hmm. human design is. A lifetime course of discovery if you're following it that way and you won't get anywhere except maybe you'll become an expert
0: how important can it be to have someone to mentor or guide you along this
1: exploration in human design Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's fundamental
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah um but not just someone it can't just be anyone
2: Mm -hmm. you
1: know like have i met anyone doing what i'm doing with human design i really haven't like if you ask me to recommend another teacher, and I and I say that with as much humility as I can muster, like I would I would simply say, don't don't get a human design teacher.
0: I love that. Get it. It's get not like about a science, human design. evolution, a growth, an expansion teacher that might yep. use human design as a tool.
1: There's a reason that I refer to uh, my reading as a mirror session. It's mm-hmm. not a foundational reading. It's not a human design reading. I'm not the human design guy. It's not about me. It's not about human design. It's about you. So if you've got your human design chart and you want to discover something meaningful, be aware that that something meaningful is not in the chart. It's in you. That's why we should talk because I can use that chart to help you see yourself. Mm-hmm. But I have never really met anyone else who's using it that way. So I can't tell you to hire a teacher or to take a class. That said, maybe you're the teacher. Maybe with your chart, you're called to go on an adventure like I did and you're called to read and to study. Not everyone's built for that. I am, maybe you are, you know, maybe you don't need me at all. fact of the matter is no one needs anyone outside of themselves, but some of us really, really benefit from the accelerated potential that comes through relationship.
0: Oh yeah. I can attest to that. I'm a big proponent of having a mentor, having like a group or a setting that puts you in a frequency that your nervous system isn't quite used to yet and it's a little jolting and then we can get stuck in that that lioness of like oh this is this is rough but we can get to that other side
1: relationship accelerates the journey it does
0: mm-hmm. yeah beautiful thank you so much timothy this was Ooh, like so for fun. And a gift and so yeah. fun
1: yeah. and
0: then I would like to open it up for questions if those who are here, right here in this now moment with us, if they have any specifics they want to ask anything. I have a question. Um, one of the things that Jen works with is chronic illness and autoimmune. And one of the things that you said was. Um, basically looking to the body and listening to the body's intelligent, how would you connect those two, the chronic disease, autoimmune issues, to listening to the body and what that wisdom has to say?
1: Great, great question. It's actually a large question. And since I don't know Jen's work personally yet, and I don't know how you, the group of you are kind of going about meeting this, I want to be careful. Um, what I can tell you is that There is a powerful link between the mind and the body. The two are meant to work together and they typically do not. Chronic illness, from my perspective, is a result of that disconnect. It's a result of an improper use of our mental capacity. So while there are many different ways to address chronic illness and many different ways to address it that actually work, I personally believe that there's only one way to sustainably address chronic illness. And that is through the unification of mind and body and the proper use of our mentality, which happens to be the single greatest power that we lay hold of in our lives. Does that answer your question? Yeah, a little. Okay, cool.
0: My body's like jolting. <laughs> okay.
1: Oh, it's the next level. I promise you it's a next level. It becomes simpler and more powerful simultaneously. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now we just need more of the, I'm going to doctorate program and part of my work is to bring this it's literally have my dissertation is like over the mind body connection and a new model for chronic illness and i'm like how do we get the literature behind this and there's such a there are so many populations that are stuck in the village that don't they're fine with being camels they don't want to look at it Mm -hmm. carly that was a really good question thank you for that
1: that was a brilliant question
0: what else
2: Everyone's afraid to ask about
1: their human design. They're like, oh, Tim's just going to tell me. Don't worry about it. Let's go there. What would I want you to know. You can ask anything about your human design. Yeah. Examples are are the fertile soil of discovery. So ask away.
0: Um, I do have a question, Timothy. Um, I'm figuring out that the original human design that I thought I had taken was accurate. And I'm looking at your website and finding out that I am actually have different... Um, profile than I had originally thought I was and so my question is what would you suggest um, when looking at the gates to really focus on because there are so many of them Um, and how to really read the chart so what I'm finding is that red is activated is that accurate
1: yes ish so you've okay. got two two sides to the body graph, two columns on, the, on either side of the middle imprint, right? Um, one is red and one is black. So one column is red, one column is black. What you're dealing with here is actually the difference between unconscious activations on the red side and conscious activations on the black side. So if you see that a gate is colored in red, it means that it is defined unconsciously. And if you find that a uh, gate is highlighted in black, that is defined Consciously. Sometimes you'll see a gate that has both red and black. And that means that you've got activations on both sides. These are the kind of technical questions that are always fun to answer. And the reason that I enjoy them is because you've all heard, I think what's a little unique about my take in the system. I can answer those technical questions in a way that connects to the possibilities we've been discussing. So please ask anything like this. That's also really a smart question because it shows that you're really paying attention to the imprint. So you're an investigator too.
0: I wanna to ask a question. I wanna go there. Okay, I'm sure. gonna tell you what I know about my chart off the top of my head and then I'd love any... Here's what Timothy thinks. I'm a manifesting generator, emotional authority, five one, split definition, Uh, I think my strongest taste is uh, taste, or my strongest sense is taste. Uh, Market environments, there's there's a lot on there, but I think I've probably hit the main points.
1: Awesome. Okay. So let's start with strongest sense and markets. Kind of a goofy place to begin, but I, I think it's a really good opportunity for all of us on this call to zoom in on something. That actually comes from what, in human design, is very a, a very advanced um, uh, section of analysis known as the primary health system. So we're zooming in on the body itself, and we're discovering how the body uh, digests or relates to information in the world around it. Some of that information is received, you know, when we eat, some of that information is received from the environment, okay? Uh, in my world, this is referred to as dietary regimen. So this helps us to understand how we have been uniquely designed on a physical level to meet life. Uh, Very, very wonderful form of analysis, very in-depth, the most personal uh, analysis that I offer. Okay. Um, So what you're pointing at there is really useful information um, from a practical perspective. Um, Manifesting generator is another interesting point to zoom in on. Many of you listening are going to be some form of a generator or manifesting generator. Many people don't know that, functionally speaking, in terms of the way energy moves through a system, there is no type distinction between a manifesting generator and a generator. Uh, Although many different teachers would disagree with this, the, the original human design only had four types, not five. So the manifesting generator is not a new type it's a subtype. Okay. In the same way that there are many different subtypes of projector, emotional projector, self-projected projector, splenic projector. These are all takes on the theme of being a projector. Manifesting generator is a powerful take on the theme of being a generator, but ultimately the energy moves the same. The aura, the signature of that energy is the same as well. And for all of you who are some sort of generator, manifesting generator, emotional generator, pure generator, whatever type of generator you may be, you should know that your energy is vital, alive, expressive. It literally radiates like a sun. And just like a sun, that radiance produces an electromagnetic effect that is both pouring life and light and information out of you in a creative and expressive way and calling life back to you. It's electric in its expression and magnetic in its impact, which means that as each of you as generators allow that light to radiate, you are actually calling toward yourself everything that matches the frequency of that light. That's gorgeous. You are powerful, powerful suns, and I want you to take that as personally as you possibly can. The way that you radiate is through the body. This is true for every generator more than for any other type. So no matter what type of generator you are, know that the very foundation of your potential is contained in your physical experience. This aura, the generator aura, is a sensual aura. Very important word, sensual, and a fun one because it's a double entendre, right? So I see this, Emma, you're the lone splenic projector. We'll come to you in a moment, I think.
0: (laughs) Am I a sign? Of course. And yeah, We'll have to hear about them and reflectors, too. but
1: keep going. absolutely. yeah, we are we we have we are also suns, but our energy moves differently. The generator is this this big expanding ball, right? And so there's this movement that occurs and the foundation of this potential is contained in the body. So the word sensual is a double entendre. On the one hand, it means that there is this tangible in the moment sensory relationship with the experience of life itself. Nothing conceptual there. That's not a, that's not a process of thinking. It's a process of feeling and touching and tasting, et cetera. So sensual, because it's rooted in the sensory direct nature of that contact with life. And because what happens when you come that close to life, when you actually begin to dance with all of the details of your life and you allow yourself to feel everything, it becomes rich, it becomes sexy. That's the other side of sensual, right? So if you're a generator and your life is not delicious, you're not doing it right yet. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> and 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 I can just hear like certain people's just like just like energy sagging like dang, I'm not doing it right yet. And that's okay, don't worry. All it means is there's more. There's so much more. There's far more than you could ever imagine. Life becomes more beautiful than you've ever known.
0: For me when I hear that several years ago, that would have felt like, like that, that it would have felt a little heavy, but now
1: yeah, he enough
0: of this trial and error, because I think we're programmed to, to think that if we're having fun and it's light and it feels good, we're probably not working hard enough or we doing enough. And at this point in my evolution, I'm like, no, 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 like if you feel delicious and you're lit up, that's just going to light up the world around you as a generator and bring more to you versus what I was conditioned to believe. And I think many of us have like, it's just gotta be kind of hard. And that's what we know we're doing at the grind, man. I'm so over the grind.
1: (laughs) If you're lit up, you are connected to free energy. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I mean by the sun. Um, it is, it's like the Tesla generator. It's free energy. Mm -hmm. The reason this works is we use a silly example here, but one that helps, I think. We've been taught to fill our cup and we've been taught how to serve others. And so what we tend to do is fill our cup and then pour it out on behalf of others. And so we fill our cup and then we pour it out on behalf of others. And what I'm saying here is that if you can fill your cup so full that it overflows, then everyone is nourished by the overflow and it costs you nothing. You never have to pour your cup out. You never need to replenish because you're constantly filled and we're meant to be filled. That's how big and delicious our lives get to be. But what we're dealing with here is a process that we've been disconnected from. It's a procedural difference. The only gap here is in how to be, not what we need to know. It's not intellectual, it's procedural. You mm-hmm. see? Cool.
0: Laura, I'm reading your comment and I picked up on possibly your telltale sign that you're not living in alignment is frustration. I checked your chart, it is. So sh- she said, I'm too good at manifesting everything. Unfortunately, If I am not concentrating all the time, I manifest negative and positive, then frustration happens. But frustration, Timothy, I wonder what you have to say is that telltale sign of something's off in the chart.
1: That's right. For a generator type, which we have here, frustration is the opposite of satisfaction. So frustration is going to be like like that red light, you know, stop sign. Um, It simply means that your energy is moving in a way that neither serves you nor life. That's fine. It's really helpful to have that stop sign so you can about face and head in the other direction. What you're pointing at here, which I think is really exciting, is you're too good at manifesting something, which means that you're already connected to the creative capacity within you, except that fire hose is zipping all over the place. So we need to concentrate that ability toward that which produces more life, toward that which excites you. Think about how often our attention is dragged away from what we prefer to offer it. Uh, toward. Uh, every time you scroll through Instagram, every time you turn on the news, every time you listen to people at the grocery store talking about the latest political drama, our attention, you will as you will learn in the forgotten sense, is actually our single greatest asset in all of life. But that asset is being exploited. So the way to use this powerful creative capacity in a way that doesn't feel like too much is to use it properly and intentionally and to come into fuller control of that which is yours to use. We're only dealing with a, a, a question of essentially like discipline here. It's practice. That's all. Mm-hmm. I'll bet you all of us wish we could say, man, I manifest too quickly and easily. That's that's the thing. We need we need to identify that ability and then close the gap between improper utility of that ability and proper utility of that ability.
0: It's hard. There's so much vying for our attention, consciously and unconsciously.
1: Yes, it's hard and no, it's not. It's hard because we haven't taken responsibility for where our attention goes. So we're not mm-hmm. used to it. Mm-hmm. It's not hard at all, though. There are many, many things. There are an infinite number of things happening right now in the world that we're not paying attention to. Mm-hmm. You will never hear of in your whole life. Good things, bad things, et cetera. We have before us a spread of possibilities. If you walk into the kitchen and every ingredient exists and you want to bake a cake and then a turd ends up in there, whose fault is that? You're the you're the chef. Don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like we've got to become aware of our responsibilities in the kitchen.
0: That is so good. I could listen to you talk all day, but I know we're we're wrapping up. and So I want to direct our attention back to Emma's question um, about around projectors, reflectors. They're this like small population. How are they different?
1: In many ways. Um, so remember that we're speaking here within a very specific context. I would say there's no difference. We're all the same on a fundamental level. If we could just penetrate to that, we'd be in really good p- position. But mm-hmm. we're going to come up to the surface here again, and we're going to look at human design. And I will say that, uh, yes, it's true that projectors are more rare than generators. And I'll even say that a splenic projector is extremely rare, statistically speaking, and also in my experience. So I'm like, oh, another Hispanic projector, that sounds cool. Um, your process is gonna be very different from anyone else in the group in this regard. Uh, in terms of how you radiate, I wanna be very clear that we are all suns, all of us, okay? There's something unique about the generator because that 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 movement is It's moving from the sacral center, from the gut, and it's actually uh, sharing life force energy. So there's a a maternal quality to the generator movement that is actually producing more life and sustaining life on the planet. That's remarkable. Mm -hmm. Us projectors, we are not doing that. We are also going to glow. We are also going to shed light. We are also suns, but the quality of our energy is different. And the shape of the impact differs too. I talked about how the generator is a big bubble. The projector is a laser beam. So in fact, one could say that the the projector has more power because the power is concentrated or focused. The projector's gift is being able to penetrate right past all of the assumptions and all of the ideas and all of the doubts and worries and concerns of any individual to penetrate the core of truth within. As a a projector, if you're connected to your potential, you will see the potential in others. If you're connected to the truth within yourself, you will see the truth within others. You will literally walk through life in full awareness of the angels that surround you. Mm -hmm. That's your gift as a projector. And as you tap that potential within them, you will help them see it too. So in the same way that a laser beam is more powerful than a sun because of how it focuses light, the sun is more powerful than a laser beam because it's a sun, you know? So like, there is no way to compare power, so to speak. What we're dealing with is how that power is used.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, a generator walks in a room and shed light, sheds light. A projector is not going to do that. A projector is probably going to find a corner, sit down and become very quiet and probably feel very awkward in this space filled with people. And then through the, the sheer force of that. Invisible quality, the magnetism will set about the same work it does for everyone. And someone who is ready for that projector will find their way beside them and strike up a conversation out of nowhere. And you'll have a projector at a party talking about all of these, you know, off subject, sideways, random things. And everyone else is partying and they're talking about, you know, indie films and who knows what else, you know, like probably esoteric subjects, even.
0: I don't know how that
1: helps uh, you, Emma, did that land?
0: Unmute. My throat is tight, Emma, please. (laughs) Sorry, I don't know. My phone was being really funny. That's okay. Um, Yes, that totally landed, especially when you were talking about off-topic things, because I have found myself doing that with people and i'm like why am i talking to them about these crazy crazy out of this world topics normal to me (laughs) so yes a lot of that landed and i feel a lot better so thank you
1: you're welcome as a projector one of the greatest takeaways uh, that you will discover in human design is the invitation uh, to apply your strategy Wait for the invitation is the strategy. Wait for the invitation. You have that wealth of knowledge. It seems random. It is not it's ready and waiting mm. to serve that person. Who's ready to receive it. But if you're giving it away to a bunch of people who don't care, then you will not be recognized, but except for as a weirdo and you'll feel disconnected mm-hmm. <laughs> from everyone around you. But if you wait, you're going to find that there are people who need what you have to offer. The projector is like a surgeon. We used the the laser example. I now I want to use a scalpel example. Okay, as a projector, you are a surgeon. But if you're going around trying to do surgery on people without invitation, all you're really doing is stabbing mm-hmm. people who don't want that, right? Mm-hmm. So people avoid you, like get away with get, get away from me with that thing. But then the people who are ready for you open their hearts. They're like, have at it. Show me what you see. And you you so good.
0: And you said that something about emma that is really about projectors that i see in emma like she does really just walk around the world aware to the angels and the miracles she just like has a really fine sense for that um what about the reflectors i don't believe we have any in this group but for those who might be listening and wanting to know as we wrap up a little bit to take home about their, their type themselves
1: so the remaining two types are reflector and manifester. and I don't know if it feels exactly fair to try to like squeeze them into the last couple minutes of our conversation. Um, reflectors in particular, I think, really deserve um, a very individual um, discussion because we're dealing with about 1% of the population here, the both the process that supports them. And the expression of that nature is going to be, it's going to be a unicorn. And what I've personally found through my experience of reflectors is that no matter what I've ever read about reflectors, every reflector I've ever met is incredibly unique to themselves. So it's not like I'm recognizing reflector patterns. I'm recognizing that every reflector I've ever met is entirely unique. They create their own category. Hmm. Right? And this makes sense because within the human design context, the reflector is essentially going to relate to the environment in a way that reflects the quality of that environment. And so I'll have a reflector friend you know, in this country, in this context, in this environment, producing a certain sort of expression that is going to be necessarily in- interwoven with the essence of that environment. And then a reflector on the other side of the world who looks totally different in part because they are, they're a different individual, and in part because they are bound by that environment in a way that actually accommodates a completely unique quality of expression. So the essence is is very fluid, I believe, on the the reflector level. Mm -hmm. The manifestor type tends to be fairly well self-contained the typical description of a manifestor aura is kind of like a a dense bowling ball compared with the very absorptive and uh, and expressive radiance of a generator. The manifestor becomes like this dense bowling ball with spikes, you know? Like it's hard to penetrate a manifestor type and you're really not going to unless they come to you. Mm -hmm. But when they come to you, my experience of the manifestor is that they're focused. They are um, ready to learn. And that openness can be profound if it's their prerogative and because of the way that they move through life, they have a way of initiating movement. So if you have a friend who's a manifestor, a good friend, I'm talking like a soul level connection, you're going to find that your life is expanded as a result of that connection Mm. because they're constantly breaking back, breaking through barriers and uh, opening to new possibilities. Jen, I'll return to you for a moment and just say that that five one profile we haven't talked about profile, but that five one profile is is the like the archetype of an investigator. I mean, of course you're a five one. <laughs> That's that was my thought. I'm like, yep,
0: yep. asking all the questions. Yeah, oh, this is so good. i've I've learned a lot and I about human design in the sense of especially that, that five being from what I understand this karmic mirror. And sometimes what I've heard, it's like, you don't even know why people don't vibe with you, but some people just don't. And you're this, this mirror. And then today in this conversation, understanding how to kind of come, well, you call it coming up to the surface, but yeah, go back down to the depths and like allowing this to be a tool of expansion. And I've caught myself like lost in the information and the definition instead of like the expansion that human design offers. And you, I have never, just like you said, heard a teacher so brilliant and wise on the subject, allowing us to go way beyond human design and into a human being. So thank you for that today, Timothy. This has been amazing. And I'm sure all the other ladies can attest and the listeners. So.
1: You are very welcome, and thank you each for the opportunity, and thank you for providing a space that allows me to share from what's true here and not from the technically correct place.
0: Thank you, Timothy. You're welcome. Wow. Timothy Brainerd what an episode timothy took us to the most incredible depths of our soul and human design yeah that was amazing hey i want to highlight what a gift being with timothy today was i know for certain that his work is going to gain momentum very quickly and be very popular i just have a knack in the business world for a perception like this with these thought leaders I am headed over as soon as I get done recording this to his website to book a private package with him because I know when noble thought leaders like this are available, they don't stay available for long and for a very good reason. So thank you, Timothy, from the bottom of my heart for your service to humanity and the work you're doing. Now I'm off to check out his trifecta discount bundle he mentioned before it's too late. So I'll see you next week, friends.